Hello and welcome to the very first GSI podcast. I'm Robin Powell. GSI stands for Global Systematic Investors. The company's mission is to provide a successful long-term investment experience whilst allocating more to companies with a sustainable vision. To find out more, just visit the website gsillp.com. That's GSI llp.com. In this episode, we're going to look at ESG ratings. What exactly are they? How do ratings agencies form conclusions? And crucially, how reliable are those conclusions from the investor's point of view? Our guest is Owen Gill from Sustainalytics, one of the biggest and most highly respected ESG ratings agencies. Enjoy the interview, and if there's a specific subject you'd like to hear Owen talk about, just go to the show notes, and there you'll see a breakdown of the interview and where you can find each answer. So, here's my interview with Owen Gill. Owen, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. So, Owen, tell me, what is your position exactly at, uh, at, at Sustainalytics? Uh, so I'm a, an associate director within uh, Sustainalytics and I work in the client relations team, uh, meaning I work day to day with institutional investors as they seek to integrate ESG data and research into their investment making decision process. Mm. So... <laughs> For for people who aren't familiar with um, this uh, area of the financial services industry, you you are effectively a, a, an ESG ratings agency. Is that is that right? Exactly, exactly. So so tell me, what, what is a, a an ESG ratings ag- agency? So uh, an ESG ratings agency is an organisation that essentially assesses companies on their non financial metrics. Um, so non-financial metrics are those beyond the usual PE ratio, return on capital, etc. And they're very much focused on environmental, social and governance issues. Um, and one of the questions we get as well uh, from investors is, well, what exactly is ESG? And I think at the minute, ESG can cover a really wide range of topics. So that can be looking at things like product involvement or revenue derived from companies who produce alcohol or tobacco or weapons uh, or also um, other things such as palm oil would be key topics. Um, But it's also looking at things like what is the impact on the climate whenever it comes to particular investments or Um, which I'm sure we'll talk about later today, the flagship ESG ratings that have become very, very popular over over the past few years. So it's our job and our responsibility as an agency to compile that research, analyze it, assess it, and then pass it on to the investors for them to, to integrate into their processes. This is a growing area of the financial services industry, isn't it? Uh, so how many different agencies are there now? And and who would you say are the, apart from yourselves, of course, who are the major <laughs> players? 
Yeah, so there has been a real boom um, in within ESG, uh, especially over the past couple of years. So there's quite a lot of ESG rating agencies now who they're all doing different things to, and they're all um, fulfilling different needs of investors. But the the more traditional players would be the likes of Systemlytics. We're now owned by, by Morningstar, of course, but you've also got the likes of MSCI in there. You've got S&P, you've got Moody's, you've got ISS. We've all been doing this for quite some time. Um, so Sustainalytics, as an example, we've been doing this since 1992. So well before ESG uh, as a term was ever created or before ESG was uh, in vogue, if you if you would say. Mm. So so you were, in a sense, kind of ahead of the ahead of the curve, if you like. Um, and w- w- what else is it about Sustainalytics that, that makes you different from the rest and we ought to point out here that you, you are actually part of Morningstar is that uh, is is that right yeah correct so Morningstar fully acquired us in the summer of 2020 and um, so we're, we're sitting within the Morningstar group now and um, what, what makes us different well I think because we haven't been doing this since 1992 we're a values and mission driven business so everybody who I work alongside, so I have well over a thousand colleagues within Sustainalytics. Um, and I think the thing that makes us different is everybody who's working within Sustainalytics is doing it because they believe in the correct allocation of capital in order to make a more sustainable or a more just world uh, for investors um, to to get involved with. Mm. So... Just summarise then what your approach to ESG risk ratings is as a as as a company. Our approach to ESG risk ratings. Okay, so I'll try not to get into too many of the technicalities uh, of the, <laughs> the methodologies, or we, we, we because we we'll be here for quite some time. But in essence, what we are seeking to do is to identify the unmanaged ESG risk that companies have. And the way that we do that is we, first of all, identify the exposure that companies have to E, S, and G issues based on the industry they're in, the country that they're operating in would be another factor. And then after that, we're looking to identify and assess the various programs, the policies and procedures that these companies have in place to mitigate those ESG risks. So. The final output that we have is a rating based on our assessment of how well companies are doing in mitigating the ESG risks that they face. Mm. And you've ha- actually recently changed your methodology on on ESG risk ratings, I think. And maybe you could explain that change and, and what made, motivated you to to change things. Yeah, correct. So that was a few years ago when we moved from what was called our ESG ratings to now what is called our ESG risk ratings. And I think the first and most obvious change is the is the change in the name. We've now moved to a more risk-based metric. And as we know, we all work within the, the, the sector. Investment management is risk management on a daily basis. So what we were seeking to do with this change is to give investors a risk-based a risk-based metric that they could integrate along with the rest of their risk management in order to better inform their investment-making decisions. The other thing that changed within 
the rating itself was previously we were just looking at ESG performance. But now we've added that two-dimensional approach, which I just mentioned. We have now added in the exposure to that as well as the management. So we're getting more granular in terms of the ESG risk that companies face. And the third, and I think which is the most important, is that the previous rating we had only looked at performance relative to other companies within the same sector. So the score that we, we showed only showed how well you performed against other oil and gas stocks or other publishing stocks. Mm. But our new ESG risk rating allows you to compare the performance of these companies across different sectors. So what that means then is whenever you have a multi-sector portfolio, that you are now able to compare companies across sectors. So it's apples versus apples rather than the apples versus oranges approach. Mm. And, you know, as you said earlier, that there is a lot of jargon, frankly, um, in in the uh, ESG ratings uh, arena. And, and, and a phrase that, you know, you, you, you see quite often is is product involvement. And, and, and what what exactly does product involvement mean? So yeah, there is there is a lot of jargon. You're right there. Um, product involvement for us at Sustainalytics is revenue that's derived from product areas that would be seen as non-ethical or against people's values. So very obvious examples of that would be revenue derived from alcohol, revenue derived from tobacco, revenue derived from from weapons, revenue derived from palm oil production. Um, so it's trying to identify those areas, and it's not up to us at Sustainalytics to say whether involvement in those things are good or bad. It's simply our job to identify those and then pass it on to the investor, and then based on their mandate or their clients and their, their clients' requests, they can then use that to better inform their investment-making process. And another phrase that I see uh, on your website and and and, and elsewhere is is uh, is the phrase controversy level controversy level. Again, could you explain what, what that means? Yeah, sure. So controversy one is um, is where we start to bring together the the range of technologies that we have along with the the analysts that work uh, within Sustainalytics. So essentially, what we're doing here is identifying any controversies or events that have taken place for those companies that we have research on. So if there is a, a controversy that takes place, we have artificial intelligence scanning mm. around 700,000 different news sources every day, 24 seven, 365, and that will flag that their controversy has taken place. That then is passed through to our team of analysts and then our analysts then assess that this controversy, this event, and then provide a rating. So depending on the severity of the rating, it might be a level one, which is the lowest, or you could go right up to uh, a level five, which would be something like the, the Valley Dam collapse, which happened quite a few years ago. So that's mm -hmm. what we're um, seeking to, to find and then have that reflected in the ratings or the risk ratings of the companies on an ongoing basis. Well, that, that leads neatly on to the, to, to, to the next question, which is really about, um, you know, how you do monitor companies on an ongoing basis. After all, you know, a company that has high ESG 
ratings today or, or high scores, if you like, might score not so well, you know, this time next year or, or you know, even maybe, you know, in less time than that, six months or so. How regularly do you review these ratings and assign uh, new risk scores? And you know, are, are there circumstances where this is done m- more frequently? Um, it's a good question and one that is frequently brought up um, by investors because we're so used to things changing um, second by second, minute by minute. But with ESG, it's a slight bit slower. So typically we would do a full company review once a year and that will always be after the financial reports the full year financial reports and that allows us then to go through and identify the different policies the programs um, that they may have implemented um, throughout that year but if there has been a controversy or an event that takes place like i like i just talked about within our controversies research that will be assessed and implemented into the score as and when those happen. So the main review will, will be once a year. However, if there are controversies, they will be reflected as and when they happen throughout the year. Now, as you know, the, the, there's quite a lot of scepticism um, uh, about uh, ESG ratings. There's obviously concern about um, so-called greenwashing and, and so on. And, and, and what, one of the issues that critics often pick up on is the fact that you know you might have as as a as a company have a certain view of a particular stock and yet another company over the road has you know a, a precisely the the opposite opinion if you like i mean tesla's a good example of that isn't it but but there are there are many others what what do you say to that so it, it, it is, again, a something that, that we discuss frequently um, with, with investors as they are looking at these, at these ratings and our assessments. And for, for me, anyway, ESG um, or responsible investing is such an emotive topic. And what is ESG to, to you, Robin, might be slightly different to, to what is ESG to me. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there are slight differences in how companies like ourselves assess these ESG performances is is in, is in its way a good thing, right? Because it allows you then to say, well, this is what I expect from an ESG policy and this is what my investors expect. Therefore, I can align that expectation with Sustainalytics ratings. And then if someone else has a different opinion, then it allows them to align with the research or the data that they're getting with another um, investor and the key then to then going beyond that and understanding what the ratings are is the transparency that's provided by the rating agencies themselves so the investors know what they're looking at they know what they're assessing and then they're able to pass on to their clients what the ratings mean what the data mean and how that impacts their investments to bring this issue of of consistency banged up to date i mean a, a good example is um uh, weapons companies for example you know the, the the arms industry now um maybe two months ago uh, if you'd asked most um people uh, you know ha- how do 
arms manufacturers score on the ESG scale, most would have, you know, had them down as uh, pariahs, if you like, and and, uh, persona non grata. But now, of course, the global situation all of a sudden has changed uh, with uh, the Russian invasion of, of, of Ukraine. You've got companies sorry, countries like uh, Sweden and Norway and Switzerland, countries which, you know, historically have actually been very neutral, actually, you know, giving uh, arms um, to uh, to uh, Ukraine. That's a good example, isn't it, of, of, of an area where uh, perceptions of a particular sector or the type of stock might differ between different ratings providers and also the perception might change very quickly over time no then and, and i think you bring up a, a a very good good point and and unfortunately it is quite timely um to, to bring up that point what we what we do in that field is again we identify what would be classed as um, controversial weapons and normal weapons so so arm manufacturers so i.e those that wouldn't be banned by international norms and conventions again what all we do is we just outline the facts of these companies that are producing non-controversial weapons and these companies that are producing non-controversial weapons we give that to the investors and it's their choice then what they do with that information we are just passing on that data or that research that they may not previously has had. We're not trying to sway anyone's opinion on what they should or shouldn't do. It's their fiduciary duty, how they invest their money. All we do is highlight the the facts and hope they do something positive with it. So so ultimately, Owen, do, do you think it really matters that, that your view on a, a, a particular stock is different from you know one of your fellow uh, ratings uh, agencies, if you like. Does the fact that ESG ratings often diverge uh, across providers, does that undermine their usefulness to investors, if you like? No, I think if, if the investor knows what they're looking at in terms of what sits behind the rating, the methodology, the data that goes into it, and they understand and they can interpret the methodology and the data goes into it, and that lines, aligns with their ESG policy, then I think that's the most important thing here because we're then passing on the information that is most useful to them and to their policy, therefore their, their clients and their fiduciary, their, their fiduciary duty. What we're also seeing a lot of are a lot of asset managers who are bringing in multiple ESG rating provider sources and then they're able to then compare and contrast across Systematics, across MSCI, across ISS, and make sure they're getting a holistic picture. Because then if we are all bringing different parts of information to the table, at least then we're presenting that to the investor, and that makes them even more informed as a result. Mm. So, so are we seeing a move towards kind of aggregation of, of different opinions from different agencies. I, I mean, a, a good example would be um, the betting industry, for example, where, you know, what one uh, bookmaker might give you, you know, amazing odds on, on a particular bet and you might go to another bookmaker and, you know, you might get a very, very different picture. But if you go to somewhere like 
odds checker. I, I sound as though I do this regularly, by the way. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, went for, I went for a tip at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that sort of aggregates the opinions of of bookmakers everywhere. So, so that actually, in theory, should give you, you know, a, a, an, an accurate uh, picture. Is are we seeing a move towards that in in, in ESG? Do you think? I think the most obvious we 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 have had that um, to a certain extent, and that's through various regulators bringing in uh, policies or standardisation. So the most obvious example recently is the EU action plan um, that has brought in a taxonomy on how companies are to be assessed and how investment managers who want to class their portfolios as being green should report on those. So what you're seeing is that high level convergence, if you will, where standardization of reporting is available. Well, all that really does is cover the high level, but what investors are still looking to know is more than that. So Sustainalytics can provide further research and data than just the data points required to fulfill your EU regulatory requirements. Mm -hmm. So there's still a need then for us to be able to provide that to them for them to have deeper insights and then provide uh, to their clients uh, a unique aspect to ESG that you wouldn't get if everyone just follows the same standardized reporting, which people will still do, but it just still allows the uniqueness and the, the USPs to be developed. Mm. You know, it, it, it's often been uh, pointed out, and, and uh, it was again at the last uh, COP, uh, climate summit, for example, um, that um, you know there there is huge variation around the world uh, about um, uh, ESG ratings and so on, and and some markets require uh, different levels of of um, disclosure and so on. Um, how do you deal with that as a as a as a, as a company? So one of the the, the, the key issues that ESG ratings agency always come about is the amount of disclosure from companies. And, and, and as you go further down the market cap spec, that can be um, a contributor to that. Or if you go towards emerging markets, the amount of data um, because of the disclosure levels becomes quite um, limiting. So one thing that we do so as not to punish the emerging market companies because they don't have the large teams to produce these glossy brochures and the nice websites with all their policies and procedures is we look at them with a slightly different framework uh, in a framework where we don't expect them to have the same level of disclosure as the larger developed market companies but still allows us to be able to perform an assessment that gives us a result in line with the developed companies. And over time, whenever we do see regulation like the EU action plan increase, we do expect then that disclosure will also increase for these companies, which then gives more data into into the market. So it will come and it will change. It's just going to take a slight bit more time. So simply put, uh, the the requirements um, it, it, for disclosure in emerging markets, say, are, are not as kind of uh, rigorous as as they are in 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 developed markets. Do do you see that changing over time? And and how 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 long will it be before 
you know the the uh, requirements are the same for um, you know third third world and developing countries as they are for you know the likes of Britain and the and the US, for example. Good, good question. That's real crystal ball. Kind of, kind of, kind of area there. Um, look, look, even since I've joined Sustainlytics, the amount of coverage that we have for companies um, has probably increased about 30, 40%. And that's only over the space of uh, two and a half, three years. So at that rate, you'd expect that, especially given now for these companies or for investors that have to report, for regulatory purposes, they will start to apply pressure onto these companies that are further down the market cap spec or are in emerging markets to start disclosing this information or they won't be able to invest in them because they can't report on it. So I think that change is definitely happening. Um, I think over the next five years, you'll see a dramatic increase in the disclosure of companies, but it is going to take a bit of pressure from the investors to create that pressure um, over those years. So ESG investors are obviously looking for a for a for a financial return, but but clearly as well, they're they're looking for um, different types of return, uh, environmental, social, and and so on. And and what they really really want are for companies to change their ways, if you like. So what impact would you say, Owen? This all this ESG data has uh, in changing corporate behaviour. So, I wouldn't so much say we, as a rating agency, have a direct impact. We certainly have a role to play, but we don't have a direct impact. And um, what I mean by that is, as I said um, quite a few times here, it's our role to collect the information and pass it on to investors. It's really then up to the investors what they decide to do with that information. Now, we hope that they use it in a positive way, both in terms of how they integrate it into their investment decision-making process, but also then how they use the information to engage with the underlying companies that they are invested in or they seek to invest in. And I think it's of no surprise that since ESG became quite in vogue a couple of years ago in terms of investors, we now can't turn on the radio or go on to the internet or listen to the TV without all these companies talking about what they're doing to change the planet in their view. So there's definitely been a positive outcome of the past couple of years. Um, the key is now is to make sure that that trend continues um, and that the pressure applied from investors is a positive one uh, within the market. And we continue to see a positive impact then on the investment attitude um, across all investor types. I mentioned earlier uh, um, that there are uh, some critics of, of, of the ESG uh, industry, if, if you like, and, and I mentioned concerns about greenwashing and so on. And, and a, another objection that uh, skeptics often come up with is, is the fact that you know, the, these companies who you uh, ask for information about ESG issues, they are effectively self-reporting, aren't they? You know, ultimately, how do you know that the answers that they're that they're giving you are, are true, and they're not just fobbing you off to get a decent ESG score? 
Uh, again, that's that's an, another very good point, and it's something that differentiates us from from a few of the other rating agency providers, in that we do not send questionnaires to these companies. Um, we do not seek for their input into these uh, reports. All that we do is look for the programs, the policies and procedures that we expect them to have in place to mitigate these ESG risks, but they're properly disclosed publicly. So once we go on to um, say the responsible um, part of a company's website or the CSR part of a company's website, we will then see where the range of policies and procedures are in place. We will read them, we will assess them. If it's been in a financial report, you know it's been audited, um, and then we will take our assessment from that. We do, however, allow companies to, to send us information or programs or policies, but we don't do it on a questionnaire-based system simply because we don't want to be sweet-talked, if you will, um, by the by the answers that, that, that they provide. So that's our way of keeping it as um, uh, at arm's length, if you will, as, as possible to stop that kind of behavior. Mm. Great. Well, it's been a really fascinating discussion. I've got one more question for you. It, it, it's quite a controversial one. Um, and, and it's this whole issue of um, investment performance. Now, you, you've got two schools of thought, haven't you? you you've, got, you've got one, I suppose a good example would be the Cambridge professor, Elroy Dimpson, who says, you know, there is a price to pay in terms of performance for investing with your conscience, if you like, in in ESG in stocks with high ESG scores, and that you can expect to underperform the market over the long run. But there are also lots of people, in fact, probably more people who say that if anything, you are going to sort of slightly outperform. And then I suppose there are people like me in the middle who say, well, it's very hard to tell one way or the other. And actually, the results might be very, very similar. What, what are you, what's your own view? Um, from, from someone who's been working in this space for quite a while, I've seen both sides of the coin. I've seen people who, like you say, argue underperformance and, and people who argue overperformance and then those who say, well, it's just circumstantial that there's been over or underperformance and you can't necessarily attribute that to ESG um, as, as a result. So I think for myself anyway, I, I would sit with, with you uh, in, in the middle of, yeah, the, it, it can be seen that there is maybe not huge overperformance, but there's definitely performance in line with the market, if not slightly better. Um, but then I'll always go back to uh, one of my original comments today, which was we're a values and a mission driven business. And that is something that I believe in. Um, and the fact that we are trying to improve the allocation of capital. So it is a more sustainable world and a more just society um, is um, a, a price to pay, if you will. Uh, if you do have people here arguing against the um, the performance aspects of ESG. Owen, uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. No, thank you very much, Robin. You've been listening to the GSI podcast from Global Systematic Investors. I'm Robin Powell, and you heard me interviewing Owen Gill from Sustainalytics. 
GSI prides itself on designing, building and delivering portfolios that have better risk and return profiles than traditional market-weighted indices. If you'd like to find out more, just visit the website gsillp.com. That's gsillp.com. Thank you to Owen and thanks to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do review it. We'd love to hear your views. And of course, remember to subscribe to it so you don't miss the next one. Until then, goodbye.